Hey, thank you very much, Kevin. Uh, again, I'm Tim Rogers, lead pastor here at Grace Point. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Glad to have you here. If you're listening online later, thank you for doing that. If you're watching on Facebook Live right now, we're glad to have you join us virtually. Well, Happy New Year to you guys. Um, good New Year so far? It'll be a long year if it hasn't been good so far. So we hope it has been a good start to your year. And if your year is anything like mine and like many of ours, our years start pretty quickly. Uh, the season wraps up, holidays are over, and time to get moving into the new year. In fact, life is so busy for all of us that it is very difficult to um, sometimes address the very questions that drive where our lives are going. In other words, our daily lives tend to focus more on the what's but in truth, we all have the big why questions, but we just don't have time to ask them. We have a lot of big questions that we would love to have answers to, but every day is really about paying the bills and taking care of the kids and going to class and doing homework and getting to work and leading a business and all that, and the what's overwhelm us, and we simply don't have the time to stop and ask bigger questions like, what is the meaning of life and why am I here and where am I going? Right? And as we begin this new year, the new year can be often for all of us a place and a time to stop and ask some of those questions. It's a natural pause in the rhythm of life. And maybe you this year decided, I'm going to set some new goals, I'm going to introduce some new habits to my life or whatever it is, and you're taking a pause because you recognize that to be true. That it's important to stop and ask, what am I actually doing? How am I actually spending my time? And is it intentional? Are my what's in line with the most important why's of my life? We can't do that every day, but we can do it in certain seasons. And this season at GPC, we wanted to start the new year with giving us kind of a couple of weeks to stop and pause and ask some of the big why questions and recognize that our lives, if we don't align our what's with our why, then our lives end up going in directions, but they may not be directions that actually are in line with the most important things about both our faith and our life. And so what I want to do in this series that I'm in um, called Big Questions That Shape Your World is ask several big questions around how your world and how my world is shaped. And here are some questions that I want to ask. This is, so, uh, this is a super encouraging question. I want to ask this question. If we all suffer, die, and are forgotten, is there such a thing as meaning in life? Isn't that going to be so exciting to talk about? We're going to talk about that next week. I want to ask this question. What will really bring me satisfaction and contentment? What will really bring you satisfaction and contentment? Your life actually drives after an answer to that question. The issue is, do we really have it be intentional or not? I want to ask this question, too. Why can't I live as I want to as long as I don't hurt anyone else? You ever ask that question or have someone say that? Well, as long as I'm not hurting anybody, it's fine. Is it? Is it? Is that the way the world works? How about this one? What can I base my identity on so I don't hurt myself or others? <laughs> we'll get into that question. This question, is there such a thing as hope that actually abides, lives with me, and endures no matter what? And this question too, is it actually reasonable to believe in God? Is it reasonable? Is it one of the most reasonable things that you can do in this series? Now, in this series, Big Questions That Shape Your World, I want to begin today, though, in a little different way. Today's question is not up there. Today's question is different. And I need to introduce today's question by admitting this, that I have indeed lost my faith. When I was younger, I was taught things that now as I'm older, I look at and say, I don't think that they are true anymore. As I've gotten older, I've realized that the system that I was taught when I was younger, it doesn't match up with a growing reality that I see. I've recognized that there are injustices in the world and that not everybody gets the same things. In fact, it's become more and more difficult for me to even identify what is good and evil and who's been bad or good. 
I've also found as I've gotten older that other people are like me. They've deconverted as well. And I've found a community of people who are providing for me a more reasonable way to approach the world, a very logical way, a very evidence-based way, if you will. And that community of people is likely you. Because if you are anything like me, you have deconverted from your belief in Santa Claus. Haven't you? That along the way, the things that you're taught when you were little, the system of how presents are delivered around the world, begins to be what organizes your world and your life. And as you grow up, you realize, I don't think this system actually works. I don't think that the way that I've been taught actually holds water. I don't think there's enough evidence to support the faith that I'm being asked to have in the jolly old St. Nicholas. And then I begin to see that there's injustice in the world. People in other parts of the world are just born into different places, into different economic classes, and they don't get the same amount of things that someone else gets. Is Santa Claus not fair? And then I begin to meet people like you, who have good reasons to explain to me how presents actually get delivered. And I begin to have courage to deconvert from my original position of faith in jolly old St. Nicholas. That story and that line of thinking is the exact line of thinking that happens in real faith for real adults all the time, over and over and over again. In fact, one of my people I follow on Twitter, Ed Stetzer, he wrote the book Christians in the Age of Outrage uh, and many others. But he, um, just at the end of the year, he tweeted this about a friend of his, Uh, And tell me if this doesn't sound familiar. He said this just at the end of December. Talked to an old friend tonight. He was a key leader in a church we planted and then went on to plant another church when they moved. He was not a pastor, but a significant lay leader. Tonight he told me he's no longer a Christian. My heart is broken. Come quickly. Come quickly, Jesus. You have people like this in your family. You have people like this who are your friends. I do. People who have grown up in a world in which they said, I used to believe in Jesus, I used to believe in Christianity, but now that I'm older, the system doesn't make sense. I'm meeting people who are giving me another way to think about the world, and I'm seeing the world through a different set of eyes. It just doesn't work anymore for me, and I've finally been courageous enough to address the doubts that I've had for so long. And I am no longer, I'm no longer a Christian. Now, what I want to address today is what is going on in our world, and is this. I think what's happening in our world, and the assumption I want to address today is this, that there is an assumption in our world that religion is based on faith and secularism is based on evidence. This is what I want to talk about this morning. There is a, an assumption in our world that Christianity or faith or religion, religion or Christianity is based on faith and secularism is based on evidence. It's almost like Santa Claus. Anyone who still believes in Santa Claus can really only do so through blind faith. But once you introduce science and reason and logic into the world, no one can really believe in Santa Claus anymore, and that's kind of the way that many see the world of religion. Not just Christianity, but the way the world of religion. That this is the tension, by the way, that your children and my children and your grandchildren are facing in the schools that they attend and the way that they are seeing the world. This is the pressure that is on them. If you have ever felt awkward, if you ever felt strange or afraid to share your faith, part of the reason why is because of this assumption in our world, that you're about to share with your thinking friend some foolish idea, faith-based view of a Santa Claus Jesus, 
that doesn't hold water in an evidence-based world? And who wants to be the idiot who still believes in Santa Claus when you're 45 years old? The world pushes this assumption that secularism is based on evidence and any thinking person will come to this conclusion that a world of faith, religion, is simply a blind kind of faith. Today, I want to press in on that. I want to press in on that assumption. Now, today, I want to say two things quick. Um, typically, typically, and if you were here with us through the last series on Jesus, you'll know this is true, and if you've been here with me, I've been here almost 17 years now, or maybe longer, I don't know. The scriptures are incredibly, incredibly important and authoritative to us at GPC, and to me personally. Guides with authority, with, with relevance, how we see the world. This morning is a kind of a pre-scriptural or pre-biblical idea. And so this morning, we're not even going to open the Bible, but I just wanted to say that because I, I feel like we, I do that every week, and this morning I'm not going to. And the reason is, not because I don't believe in that at all, please understand that, but because the conversation here precedes even opening the Bible. It's the, the assumptions behind why would you open it in the first place. So I just want to say that. Secondly, I'll say this and then I'll move on. Um, this series is in many ways framed up around some of the thoughts from Tim Keller's book, Making Sense of God. And so if you have ever read Keller, um, you'll find some of his work here to be incredibly helpful. And this, by the way, we're going to start off the new year with a giveaway. This is a book I'd love to give to someone this morning. If after the message you are interested in some of the stuff that we've talked about this morning, I want to give this thing to you if you'll read it, okay? But I'd love to give this book away here this morning, so this is available for you. Okay, speaking of giveaways, anyone get too much, too much Christmas candy? Mm-hmm. Good. I did. <clears throat> Rolos. All right, everyone know what a Rolo is? Uh-huh. Good, good audience participation. We're into Rolos. I'm going to give away some Rolos today because, frankly, I'm tired of having all the candy in my house, and I hope it'll help us here this morning as well. Because what I want to talk about this morning is what are and what does secularism believe? What is the world in which your kids and my kids are growing up in? What are the beliefs behind that? Because my assumption is this, that both secularism and Christianity are belief systems. I'll say that again, that both secularism and Christianity are belief systems, that they combine both belief and evidence in their systems. There, it is not true, it is not true that Christianity is based on faith alone and secularism is based on evidence alone. It is simply not true. But that is the pressure that your children and my children are facing right now and that you are facing in the world in which we live. But I'm telling you, it is not true. I want to make the case this morning that secularism, just like Christianity, is a faith system. Okay? Now, in order to make that, I need to talk about what secularism believes. So, Rolos, pay attention this morning, if for no other reason than not to get your eye poked out, okay? So I'm going to be tossing some Rolos out to the crowd this morning and try to keep it up. Oh, there we go, right over there. Okay, sorry, Sherry, I missed you. We're going to throw one over there. Okay, so these rollers are coming out. They are going to come deep, by the way. So this is not what we always do, but this is something this morning. So here comes a rollo deep. We're going deep on that one. We are going to hurt people. Okay, there we go. Now, the rollos that you got, let me ask you the question, how do you know that you just got a rollo? Now, maybe you didn't get a rollo and you're, you know, whatever, getting, but how do you know that what you just got, how do you believe that what you just got is actually a rollo? Now, science will, uh, secularism will say this, that science is king. The only way for you to know that that is a Rolo is to take that thing, unwrap it, take it to the lab, 
Put it in a laboratory and truth will be uh, uh, that science is the only arbiter of truth. That science alone will tell you what is true. The only way to know for sure is to break down the components of what is in that little package that I gave you. That science will tell you and will be a uh, reliable source and the king of all that is true. Which sounds very logical, doesn't it? Makes a lot of sense. And I would argue that's fair. That's a good point. But here's what I want to say about that as well, that if science, if science is the only arbiter of truth, if science is the only way that we can know what is true, then the truth is we can know very little at all. For example, there is no way that science can prove that this entire universe is not an optical illusion. There is no way that science can prove that you right now are not dreaming. There is no way that science can prove that right now your thoughts are not impacted by a demonic force of some kind. Science has its natural limits, much of which it cannot prove, and it understands that. Science has its limits, and while much can be proven, a lot simply cannot be. Science can tell you, science can tell you, the arc of this Rolo as it goes up through the air and comes down. A physicist can explain to you velocity and gravity and how that changes based on our elevation and whatever, barometric pressure. I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. <laughs> but it cannot explain to you why there's a smile on the face of the person who receives the Rolo. It cannot explain the moral aspects of our universe. If all that you can know is what science can prove to you, you can hardly know anything at all. You can only even hardly know that you yourself exist. So what secularism will do, and wisely so, is fill in the gap with reason. Reason fills in the gaps. Science or Secularism will say, well, Sure, we can't know everything, so what we're going to do is just be reasonable with it, okay? Like, I'm going to take this roll, I'm going to toss these out again. Oh, you're not paying attention. There we go. Heads up. There we go. Good job, Ben. Way to save her. There we go. So as the Rolo comes to you, here's the reality. I'm going to try to go deep. Just pay attention all the way in the back there. Oh, that's coming fast and hard. Good job, Rachel. Okay, I don't think I want to do that again. That was a little dangerous. But as they come out to you, as I come out to you, okay, as I come out, how... Those of you who are not receiving a Rolo, how is it, what do you believe about what I'm actually tossing out? You think I'm actually tossing out a Rolo. Why? On the basis of what? Your reason. You, I'm saying it. I'm pulling them out of a package of Rolos. They look like Rolos, but truthfully, you don't know if I put little pebbles or rocks in here, do you? You don't. Your reason will tell you that that is, the truth is probably that that is a Rolo. That's what your reason will tell you. Let me ask you this, how do you, tr how do you know that you can trust your reason? The only way you can say it is, well, my reason is reasonable. Like, I trust my reason, okay? Well, let me ask you this, if you're going to go buy a used car and you haven't met the used car salesman and you're wondering if he's honest, if you walk up to him and you ask, are you honest? It's circular reasoning. He can't prove his honesty and your reason can't prove its trustworthiness. And so secularism will say, what we're going to do to make up for the gaps in our limitations of scientific proof is we're going to use reason 
to fill in the gaps, and we're just going to say, it seems most reasonable to most human beings that this is indeed what is happening. But the truth is, reason is not a proof. Reason requires, wait for this, reason requires faith, right? You have to have faith in your reason. You do. Reason requires faith. It is not provable. Therefore, a part of what secularism believes is not a scientific formula, but indeed a belief. Just simply as a belief. <laughs> now, here's the, uh, here's the other piece that I want to say. With secularism, not only is reason filling the gaps, here we go, but also this, that secularism would love to say that there's this, that there's a view from nowhere. Uh, this is a kind of a strange idea, but I want you to imagine taking a picture of the Grand Canyon for a minute. You've got a beautiful vista in your iPhone or your, your other non-iPhone um, thing. Okay. Sorry. And I want you to imagine taking that picture, but actually being nowhere taking that picture. And of course, it's not possible to be nowhere. The view that you have is coming from somewhere in some particular space and time. You are located in somewhere. Therefore, there is a presupposition or a position that you exist in as you're looking at this picture. Secularism would love for us to believe that science will lead you to a pure objectivity. That this is the most reasonable way to see the world. As a scientific, science is king, reason will support the gaps. That we can have ultimately a view from nowhere and that our reason won't, or, or subjectivity won't cloud that which is true. It just simply isn't the case. So, more Rolos, heads up, wake up time, here we go. They won't go deep because I'm going to hurt somebody. Here we go, we'll go over here, we'll go over there. As these Rolos come to you, there we go, there we go, boom. For playing guitar this morning, thank you. All right. As these Rolos come out to you, you have a decision to make regarding faith. You can decide. You can decide how you see these Rolos. Either they are Rolos because, because you have run them through the lab and you actually think they are, or two, you're going to choose to say, I believe that they are because of my reason, because of my ability to reason the world out. But either way you're going to make a decision based on faith. There is no view from nowhere. Science's limits mean that it cannot get behind itself. How do you prove that science is king? You can't. You can't get behind that. That, that is a presupposition, is a, is a faith belief, not anything else. Therefore, to say that there is a God or that there is no God, both of those statements require faith. They are not, either side, able to be scientifically proven. Both positions require faith. There is no, if you will, view from nowhere. It just simply isn't possible. Okay? Now, fourthly, let me say this. Secularism seeks to remove faith to remove confusion. And I really appreciate this about, about uh, this view of secularism. I really do. Uh, meaning this, have you ever um, been a youth leader or a teacher or a coach or a place where you're engaging parents and their kids are out of line? And you talk to their parents and they're like, my kid? No. No. No way Junior is doing that. <laughs> Why? Because our faith in our kids sometimes clouds our judgment, right? And secularism will say, 
Our view of the world removes faith, therefore it will remove confusion about the world. And I really appreciate what's behind that. I really do. Very genuinely, I really do. Because the, the, the thought is, if we remove faith, we'll remove confusion. You can then see the world freely for what it is if we remove faith from it. Secularism doesn't remove faith, it relocates it. That's a very important principle for us to see. Secularism doesn't remove faith, it relocates it. In other words, as you get these Rolos tossed out to you, your faith in whether it is a Rolo or is not a Rolo has not... Going to the lab will help you see maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But those of you who don't get to touch the Rolo, who don't get one yourself, your faith has actually been relocated to your own reason. And that's the same for the secular mind. That faith is relocated. It is only in modern times that our world thinks that we now have the capacity to put God on trial. Faith in secularism has relocated, has relocated faith. They haven't eliminated faith. They put faith in the power of the human reason, the power of the human mind, now to be able to understand the depths of the world. Faith is not eliminated. Faith is relocated to our view of how we see the world. It simply is. It's a faith faith-based system. Now, finally, I'll say this on this piece, and then I'll move on. Here's another thing I appreciate, I really do appreciate about secularism, and that is their view of human progress. Their view is this, that human progress is better without religion. The idea is that human beings can and should grow and progress and experience equality and love and justice for all. And listen, I have friends who believe this uh, and who live it and honestly are very good at doing this. If I'm honest with you, I have friends who would call themselves secular um, who do a better job than many Christians I know at caring for the poor um, and intentionally, strategically considering how their business and how their own life can support the values that they have around human equality and justice and morality, love for all people, regardless of what they believe. Um, I have a lot of friends, and I'm sure you do too, who really do an incredible job, and I mean that very genuinely, at, at supporting human progress, if you will. That's what I mean by human progress. But the question is this, and this is the last run of Rolo, so kind of heads up. I won't do this too much more, but here comes some more. So just kind of pay attention. Here we go. Here they come. Don't kill people. There they come. Oh, oh, almost, almost lost a head on that one. Here we go. Go over there. All right. Now, as I toss these out, there we go. All right. Good job. All the way out there, right there, and one over here for the fun of it. There we go. As I toss these out, <laughs> here's my question. When you leave today and someone were to ask you, uh, what did they talk about at church on Sunday? You're like, I have no idea, but Rolos kept getting chucked into the audience. What do you think the reaction to most people will be to that? Do you think they'll either think that's kind of cool and interesting or bad and terrible? Why would they give out candy in church? Now, the majority of people will say, well, that's kind of cool, it's interesting. At least put maybe a smile on their face. And let me ask you, Why? Like, why is it that it is perceived to be a kind and a good thing to give away a little piece of candy in the middle of our world? Why is it that it's considered good and not bad? Because the truth is, I could get you addicted to sugars, and maybe you start a negative lifestyle, right? I mean, that could happen, right? That could happen. There you go. Good luck with that. But why is it considered that a good thing? Why is it that people would, no matter their religious viewpoint, they would generally share this idea that this has been a, a, an act of kindness in the middle of a hard world? Why is it that people would think that? Isn't it interesting because science, if science, 
is king, and it guides everything about how we see the world, a materialistic view of the world will say, listen, the strong eat the weak. Where is kindness and love located? If it does not have a moral or, I would argue, a theological genealogy. Why? Why should I care about you? Why should I love you? Why should I care about human equality and love and justice? To be honest, anger and rage and hate and power are more natural outcomes of a materialistic world than love and service and humility. And how is it that the secular mind will say that we want to hold on to service and love and care for the poor at the same time allow science to be arbiter of the truth? Science will tell you, eat one another. That's how you've gotten here. Why would you love one another? It doesn't follow. It doesn't make sense. It isn't logical. In the Greek world, in the Greek world, human behavior was organized by um, strata. They believed that some people were born to be kings and rulers and other people were born to be followers. Just the way it worked. When Christianity came on the scene, Christianity changed the very focal point of our lives from being about rank and order to being about love. Being about love both for God and love for the individual. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, love for the individual began to mean something. The secular mind carries those views into today, but detaches them from their origins. It doesn't make sense, it doesn't follow to care for the poor and the weak and detach from the source of where those views came from. It doesn't follow reasonably. In fact, it was Nietzsche, Friedrich Nietzsche, the one who, even if you don't know who Nietzsche is, you probably heard this statement that God is dead. If you ever heard that someone one time said that in the 19th century as a philosopher, Nietzsche is the one who said that. And here's what Nietzsche had to say. He said, if you say you don't believe in God, but you do believe in the rights of every person and the requirement to care for all the weak and the poor, then you are still holding on to Christian beliefs, whether you will admit it or not. I think he's right. So at the end of the day, here's what I want for you. Here's what I want for me. Here's what I want for our kids. Here's what I want for our next generation. I want you to see both Christianity and secularism this way, that both Christianity and secularism are belief systems. And the question is simply this, which is the most robust and, get this, reasonable? Which is the most robust and reasonable? Both of them are belief systems. And so with kindness, with care and with love, we engage. But we don't engage one group of people who believe in a Santa Claus Jesus and others who believe in a Loctite evidence-based scientific world. We engage people, our neighbors, our friends, our peers, both of whom, both of whom are wrestling to figure out how do we make sense of this world. People like you and people like me using a combination, using a combination of evidence, of faith, of intuition, of community life, and trying to make sense of the world. But make no mistake, please make no mistake, 
especially if you are younger in the world in which we live today. This pressure is real. This pressure does exist. It exists online. It exists in our media. It exists in your schools. And it exists, most likely, in the hearts maybe of you or your friends. This assumption underneath how many see the world, that Christianity is about a faith or a blind faith, just muster up enough to keep following. But secularism, if you believe it, if you have the courage to grow up a little bit and get a little smarter, be a little more reasonable, secularism is the place to be. This is where the reasonable people live. And I would argue for you this morning, both, both are belief systems. Both require belief, both require evidence, and the question is simply which system is most robust and which is most reasonable. At the end of this series, I would love for you to look at your own faith. If you call yourself a Christian, if you don't, I want to invite you to consider. Does the Christian faith offer reasonable, not just faith-based, reasonable solutions and answers to the biggest questions of your life? Questions like, if we all suffer, die, and will be forgotten, is there such a thing as meaning in life? Because everybody answers it. It's just that some answers are more reasonable than others. And that is the question that I want to engage next week in part two of Big Questions That Shape Your World. I invite you to come back for that. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance to begin this series and start the conversation around what we believe, what we see, and how we understand this world. And I pray that you would give us the courage over the next several weeks as we engage together on questions that shape our world. You'd help us to engage in a reasonable way how you work and how the, the ways of our world work as well. I pray that you'd help us to engage with love and care differing views of this world and consider what is really the most reasonable. Help us to have the courage to look at the evidence and the faith of both of these systems and consider what if what if there's an incredibly reasonable way to engage this world comes from the person of Jesus Christ. And so we recognize today, especially for those who are Christians, that Christ is our cornerstone. He's the one that we anchor to and we anchor this, these ideas here to, and we're so grateful for the opportunity to do that. And so I pray that you would give us courage, courage to engage and to see the world in a way in which our faith can grow deeper roots and not just be anchored to faith, but to reason and evidence, to see what we claim to believe in a fresh and strong way. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.